This morning's reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 10, verses 1 through to 23. <clears throat> At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God <clears throat> who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into, his, into the house to be his guests. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Uh, let's pray as we come to this word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Peter and Cornelius listening to your voice so clearly. Help us to hear from you as we think about this passage together. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So as Kev was telling us at the beginning of the service, we're having a church family lunch next week to celebrate with Sophie before she heads off to Oxford later in the summer, uh, ready to start her ordination training. So you have got some decisions to make. Uh, what food are we going to bring? Remember to sign up at the back. And what food are you going to eat when you get here? Some people will need food that is vegetarian or vegan, so we'll have to make sure that's covered. Others will need to make sure that they have something that's gluten-free, so they don't end up feeling ill. Other people might be trying to have lots of protein or not very many carbs or not too much sugar. And some people will be happy to try a little bit of everything. Well, in this passage, we find out that Peter has a vision about food. And this vision is not just about food. It's going to have a really long-term impact on what he eats, but also on much wider aspects of life within the emerging early church. So what we saw in this passage was God causing two different but interlinked things to happen in two different places at roughly the same time. We start with that Roman centurion called Cornelius, who's in the port of Caesarea, and he's having a vision while he prays. And this vision tells him to send for a man called Simon Peter. The following day, just before the men that Cornelius has sent to Joppa to look for Simon Peter arrive, we're told that Peter, who is rather hungry at that moment in time, falls into a trance and sees some kind of fabric container coming down from above and hearing a voice that tells him to kill what he can see and eat it. Is this the hallucinations of a hungry man, we think to ourselves? Well, probably not, because if it was a sheet, sorry, because if it was, the sheet shouldn't contain the particular animals that it does. Despite the fact that he's got a rather rumbling tummy, Peter is quite repulsed by seeing whatever this is put down in front of him and told that this is what he's supposed to eat. As a good Jew, he knows that quite a lot of the stuff that's in that sheet is not something that she, he should be eating as a potential meal. Not kosher, not the kind of thing that he's ever touched in his life before. He's not going anywhere near that. Leviticus 11, if you ever want to look it up, is one of the places, amongst other sections of the Jewish law, that makes it very clear that God's people are free to eat certain foods, as much as they like, but they definitely have to steer clear of some other ones. So meat can only come from animals that chew the cud and have a divided hoof. If you're wanting sheep, goats, and cows, you're fine. Pigs, not a chance. Uh, as far as seafood is concerned, both these places were ports. If you catch some fish with scales and fins, absolutely fine. Anything that's shellfish, no, don't go near it. Lots of birds are acceptable. So if there were chickens and ducks and geese and things around, they would be fine. But there's also a list of things that seem to mainly be birds of prey, not to go near those. Lizards and insects are on the banned list, which I think most of us would be very pleased about. Um, but locusts and grasshoppers seem to fall into a different category because they can jump. Not sure why that makes them better, but you're allowed to eat those. Um, the reading doesn't tell us exactly what was in that sheet and presented to Peter, but there were clearly many, many things in there that he knew and considered to be unclean. And his response to the instruction in his dream or trance is, outrage, I can't eat these things. I know these are unclean. This, this isn't what I do. But the heavenly response to his disgust is to point out that it's not actually his job to decide what's unclean. And maybe hark back to Genesis chapter 1, and God made everything and saw that it was good. If God's declared it pure, it's not actually up to you, Peter. And to emphasize the point, 
he wasn't getting away with not quite understanding this, it apparently happened three times. So presumably the message was being hammered home. So all of this must have come as a huge shock to Peter, who knew that having these dietary laws was part of what set God's people apart from the other cultures and ethnicities round about them. And he's only just starting to mull over everything that's happened and what it might mean and why something that's been so central to his life this far doesn't seem to be what's supposed to happen now, when all of a sudden there's a knock at the door and people calling out and actually all sorts of other things in his life are going to be brought into question. It's the start of a much bigger challenge to the understanding of how he thinks life works. But to be fair to Peter, he does seem to be a very quick learner and extremely in tune with the Holy Spirit. No sooner has he started wondering what his dream or vision is about when suddenly Cornelius's men arrive at the door and he responds positively. So at this point, we also need to think about the Jewish people and their understanding of themselves in much broader terms outside just what they did and didn't eat. Their unique position as God's chosen people meant that they also had to keep themselves pure in terms of who they mixed with. As well as being the hated, all-conquering military machine who had taken over their country, the Romans were also completely beyond the pale because they worshipped a whole range of gods, not the only one true God who had revealed himself to the Jewish patriarchs and prophets, and when they were worshipping these gods, they were definitely doing things that were not in God's law, which showed his people how to live well. In the Gospels, we see Herod, the political leader, and Levi and Zacchaeus, the tax collectors, painted in a pretty bad light, partly because of their collaboration with these pagan Roman overlords. Before his very recent vision, Peter would quite understandably have run a mile rather than spend time with representatives of a Roman centurion. But in the final verses of our reading, he invited them in to be his guests at the place where he was staying. So what does this have to do with us? I suspect that not many of us here were brought up to follow the Jewish laws about what you can and can't eat. Um, we know from some of the other books of the New Testament, which is what we base a lot of our practice on, that Paul concluded that Christians should be free to eat anything as long as it hadn't been offered to idols and that you were okay with God about it. So choices we make about food tend to be based on either health issues, welfare and environment concerns, and our own likes and dislikes. So it's not really telling us anything in terms of the way we eat, necessarily. But Peter put his vision and the arrival of the visitors from Caesarea, along with the news he then heard about Cornelius's vision together. And he started working towards the possibility that God wasn't just talking about whether certain foods were clean or unclean, but extending the idea of what was and wasn't acceptable in terms of people both individuals and groups. Up until this point, the growing group of people following Christ was a subgroup within the Jewish faith. Those who came to faith were already Jewish. Those who had heard Paul preaching at Pentecost in Jerusalem after the gift of the Holy Spirit first came were already in Jerusalem for the Jewish festival of Pentecost. So even if they weren't ethnically born Jewish, they were God-fearing people who believed in the one true God and had adopted Jewish prayer and worship. The eunuch who met Philip on the way to Damascus and Cornelius in this story also fell into this category of being God-fearing people. But this passage is the one that really triggers the early church's discussions about how far God might be willing to spread the invitation to become part of his family. 
When Peter and Paul and the other leaders of the early church started thinking along these lines, they could have found some pointers in their scriptures, our Old Testament. In Genesis 22, when God made his covenant with Abraham, he said, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then a few hundred years later in Isaiah chapter 60, the prophet says, see darkness covers the earth and thick darkness is over the peoples, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. And then much more recently to the, the people involved in the story, when Jesus was commissioning his disciples before his ascension, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. It could be that they weren't really hearing this because they weren't really expecting to hear it. I know sometimes I don't quite take on board what people are saying because it really wasn't what I expected them to say, so I didn't quite tune in properly. Or it could have been that they assumed this that God's light coming to the nations would eventually come about through the Jewish nation becoming even more powerful than the Roman Empire. And that's how the wider world would come to God. But the way Peter reacts immediately and how the developing church then decides to react over the next few months or years can give us some pointers, hopefully, for how God might be calling us to respond to others. The title of today's talk um, all about the early church in the book of Acts. Today's one is God stretches us. And that suggests that there might be ways that God is encouraging us to go a bit further outside our comfort zone. Maybe not just stick with how things are, but see if there's something else he wants us to be doing. And one thing that struck me was how easily both Cornelius and Peter seemed to have heard the voice of God's Holy Spirit and how quick they were to respond obediently to that. The other thing that seemed important to me was the fact that they and then the wider Jesus movement were willing to change their understanding and how they acted as a result of God speaking to them. Ultimately, the developing church decided that it was God's will that Gentiles, i.e. non-Jewish people, could be welcomed into the family of Christ followers without having to go through the process of becoming Jewish first or as well. This meant that they could be baptized and sharing Christian worship and teaching and discipleship without needing to be circumcised or follow those Jewish dietary practices. Later in the chapter, we found out that God made it particularly clear that God was accepting these people who would normally be considered outside the early church's possible members. Everyone present was shocked when the Holy Spirit came on the group of Gentiles meeting at Cornelius' home while Peter was speaking. Up until that point, new believers had received the Holy Spirit after they had decided to follow Jesus and been baptized. And God surprised everyone by confirming their acceptance into his fellowship of faith before any human beings could make a decision about whether or not it was appropriate. The Holy Spirit had come, nobody was going to argue with that. From that point on, Peter wasn't going to argue with God um, and seeing what God was clearly doing. And the process which has allowed all of us here to be part of the Christian family began in earnest with what we just read about. So there are two things I'm going to leave us to think about a little bit. Firstly, are there any individuals or groups that we find it difficult to accept as part of the church because they're just not quite like us? Do we either as individuals or as a church fellowship here or as a church in general sometimes struggle to welcome people into Christian fellowship 
because they don't seem to know quite how it's done properly, or they make us feel a bit uncomfortable, or we find it difficult to receive from them. The ordination weekend and the retreat that built up to it, like my training at St. Hild, I loved because there were people from all sorts of traditions within the church, some of which makes me go, oh, I don't quite get that, and other bits which I just learned from and found absolutely lovely. I really appreciate the fact that there are people in the church who are not like me, and God loves them, and that's good. And in the face of everything that comes up in the news these days, that the wider world only sees the church arguing within itself, are there ways that we could be more united, and yes, be different, but be, be different in a way that doesn't involve arguing? If so, that might be something that some of us want to talk to God about. Secondly, do we give ourselves the opportunity to hear what's, what God's Holy Spirit might be saying to us by setting aside some time to listen? I know this is preaching to the converted with lots of you, but it's very difficult to hear people if you don't actually give time to listen to them. Cornelius was foc focusing on his regular time of prayer when he suddenly heard God talking to him in a vision of an angel. Peter was clearly tuned in enough to the voice of God to know that he was being spoken to directly by God and challenged in a very specific way. And they both acted on what they heard or felt straight away. Although if we are followers of Jesus, we are all united in the same faith, I don't think we necessarily all experience that relationship with God in the same way. I would have to put my hand up and say, I have never had a vision where I have heard God speaking very directly to me the way it's described in this chapter. But yesterday at the ordination service, one thing Bishop Sophie said towards the end was feeling the nudge of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to say a tiny little bit about how I've experienced that. When I first saw the title on the rota that came out for today's uh, service saying, God stretches us and hadn't actually read the passage, my immediate reaction was, oh my goodness, doesn't he just? Um, because me, as these people in the front row will tell you, me being ordained a priest in the Church of England was not something that I or anyone who has known me for any length of time would ever have predicted. Um, it was completely outside my comfort zone. I'm still not entirely sure how it's come about, but there we go. Um, unlike Peter and Cornelius, I can't claim that that was a, a definite revelation one day with all the specifics and me going, oh, okay then. Um, it was much more an idea of that gentle nudge and bit by bit. Times when an idea comes into your head and you end up coming back to it because it won't quite go and thinking it round and mulling it over, thinking about the different options and just keeping asking God to make things a bit clearer for you. That's how things tend to work for me. It could be different for you. Please feel free to share your stories with one another. So if there's anything outside your comfort zone that seems to be popping into your mind a little more often than you would like, either in terms of your home situation or work life or your local community or something within the church, it might be worth giving yourself some chance to mull that over with God and ask for God's Holy Spirit to nudge you in the direction that he is choosing for you. So let's pray. Lord, help us to listen. Help us to feel nudges. Help us to walk in the direction we think is right until you maybe try and point us in a different direction. And help us to continually ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. <laughs>